Yale Stone is best known for her portrayal of Lorna Morello, remember her, in the series Orange is the New Black. And it's her talent on the screen and the stage that have gifted her the skills to bring to her latest endeavours around climate change. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to uncovering what does it take to live boldly amongst the mess, the uncertainty and the unknown of our world. Yale is an actor turned activist and in this conversation we dive into both areas of her pursuit and her passion. We start quite deep with Yale sharing about her family background which no doubt drives both her work ethic as well as the deep care that she has for the people that she loves. She also shares her pull towards stage and camera. Now in this arena her credits are long and I'm sure I'm going to miss some of the most important ones. As you know, Orange is a New Black ran for seven seasons and was honoured with multiple SAG awards for Outstanding Comedy Ensemble, award wins and Emmy Award nominations for Outstanding Comedy and Outstanding Drama. Yale recently appeared in the Seesaw film series Firebite and other streaming credits include Celeste Barber's Well Mania, High Maintenance, Childhood's End, Picnic and Hanging Rock and Deep Water, where she received the Logie nomination for the Most Outstanding Actress. But in January of 2020, at the height of the Australian bushfires, Yale announced that she would be abandoning her US green card with a major impact on her transatlantic film career, returning home to Australia as a symbol of her commitment to reducing CO2 emissions. Incredible, and she talks a little bit about what drove that decision. Since then, Yale has founded High Neighbour, which is an organisation that uses solar projects to fund scholarships for local workers, training for technical, low-carbon jobs. She's currently studying sustainable communities at University of Wollongong. And you can find out a bit more about this endeavour at highneighbour.com.au. And if you think all of that is pretty impressive, wait until you hear what an incredible and beautiful human being Yale is. A storyteller, a connector of people and skilled in the art of standing in someone else's shoes. Soak up this conversation with the ever delightful Yale Stone. Yale, it's such a delight to be chatting with you. I am coming to you from the southern part of the Gold Coast on Yugen Bear Country, which is a beautiful uh, part of the world with um, with the beaches a couple of kilometres that way and, and the beautiful hinterland. Can you tell me a little bit about the land on which you're joining us from today? Mm. Yeah, I am at the foot of an escarpment on Darawal country. I'm about also about five minutes from, from the beach. There's a, a kind of gorgeous scalloping coastline down this south coast. We're in... Uh, in the Bulai area of the south coast, so the, the northern suburbs of the Illawarra, and this place always feels like a bit of an embrace, you know, between the ocean and this escarpment that curves around in this area. So it's um it's really special. You can probably hear some birds tweeting. It's definitely bird and snake territory. <laughs> the combination of the two are probably yeah. Look, the, <laughs> the birds beautiful enjoy eating. Um, the, the fruit and then the snakes enjoy eating the birds. <laughs> <laughs> Circle of life, life to start with. I'm going to love to start just with a little bit of kind of your background. Tell me a little bit about your story. 
Oh my gosh! I mean, from which from which section of the pizza are we eating? I, I don't know. <laughs> my goodness! I mean, it all started back in the dawn of time. I <laughs> I I feel like my family story is like a coming together of a lot of different cultures, generation upon generation. So my dad's mother is a, was a survivor of the Holocaust. She came to Australia. Uh, when my dad was three, she had him just after the finish of the war, after surviving as a Jewish woman. And he came over here. His name was Drachumi Gunstein. That didn't last long. He became Harry Stone. He's, he's actually here on the other side of that wall, uh, chilling out with us today. And, you know, they made a life here. And that's a, a very particular kind of, mm. I guess, psychology to to live with and dad grew up in quite a you know Jewish world and met my mum a very not Jewish young lady from Newcastle and they fell in love and she would ride her little you know 50cc scooter from from Newcastle to Sydney every weekend to see him and it's all terribly romantic (laughs) and you know I think it was probably hard for her to try and enter his his family and be accepted as a as a Catholic girl from Newcastle, mm-hmm. she converted, they got married and I think that union, even in its unlikely nature, is kind of like quite magical and strange and, um, you know, so at odds like culturally we get so much mm-hmm. from where we come from and what a wild mishmash of things. And then, you know, I guess I've got two daughters now with my partner Jack and his family's Aboriginal, my family, I was brought up Jewish. You know, w- w- how do you talk to your kids about identity as anything other than a wild rainbow of a choose-your-own-adventure? <laughs> so in, in terms of family, that's, that's, that's one slice of the pizza. So fascinating in terms of the conversations, the, the curiosity, the, the depth of... Or just even empathy, understanding whether you understand it or not. But there's there's nuances in those conversations. Yeah, yeah, and and trying to have it with little people, you know, early on, and 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 not mm. just throw them in the deep end when they turn eight. So yeah, it's quite it's quite a thing to navigate. It continues to take my lifetime to try and work out that identity piece. So I'm doing my best, but I don't know if my best is very good. <laughs> got a lifetime, got a lifetime. What was it that drew you to the world of acting? I used to go to this local drama teacher, a woman named Robin Fraser, who she would open up her front door to her house and we would. I'd ride my bike there and I'd knock on her door and she'd open the door and she always had fabulous eye makeup and a very dramatic haircut and we would sit in her front room and we'd read poetry together and we'd read Shakespeare. I'd And I'd just bring her whatever I was drawn to and, and she had a, a guiding hand in that. But my tastes were ridiculous, you know, for a eight, nine, ten-year-old. And there was something about her continuing to say yes to my interests and my imaginative space and never telling me, oh, that's too old for you or you don't understand that. And look, for the most part, I probably didn't understand it, but the words had this incredible power and it had this transformative effect. So I could sit 
in her in her front room in her house with that morning Saturday sun moving across the room and I went to totally other places. I can almost remember the feeling of, this is too much detail, of being Elizabeth Barrett Browning talking to my husband Robert Browning, the poet, in a scene that I'd written, you know, and wow. yeah. feel just feeling her, be, feeling that transformative process as a really young person. And it's pretty, I mean, time travel, body travel, transmogrification. It's pretty exciting and addictive as a young person. So, yeah, I've always really enjoyed disappearing into, into worlds. Did you have a sense... At the time, and sometimes we don't as eight, nine, ten-year-olds of being able to have that space, almost be gifted is the wrong word, but to to have that space to go to where there wasn't uh, guardrails around what was okay, what was not, what was what was appropriate, what was not. Did you have a sense of the freedom yeah, that, that maybe that was afforded? Gift is the right word. It's certainly a gift, you know. My parents were never have never been stage parents by any stretch of the imagination. They don't have any history in the arts, really. Um, but my brother, my sister and myself are all performers and they never they never pushed us anywhere. They just never said stop and we just kept going. And it, it, it wasn't that there wasn't safety. It was incredibly safe. It was, it was a really safe place, a really safe place for imagination and that's special and that is a gift. And, I, you know, I always try, something I notice in my parenting is that I, I try never to laugh at imaginative leaps. You know, I think some people look at kids or listen to kids and think, oh, kids say the darndest things, ha, 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 mm. and kind of laugh at rather than yes and their kids. So I really try to approach it as a, an improvisation ac- exercise a lot of the time to greater and, and lesser success where I'm just like, yes, what and what else is happening and and why is that like that and mm. and who am I in this thing? And and that's I think that's a great gift that I received as a, as a child in that space and that I would like to, to kind of give to my kids. And such a reminder to all of us too. Like there are other ways to look at things regardless of, of kind of what it is. Do you remember, was there a moment for you of taking that sense of here's an imagination to then pursuing a, a career in it? Because there can be a sense of, hey, here's an outlet and an imagination, but a career can be a very different thing. Was there, was there a moment or a recognition around following that or was it more just kind of following the creativity? Hmm. I think strangely, strangely following the creativity, weirdly, mm. because I did all kinds of different creative pursuits, all kinds. It's just some of them happened to begin a kind of professional pathway, but I was doing the other things in parallel that, of course, weren't, you know. As I said, we were, as a family, very, very naive. You know, I, I did my first job when I was 12 and, you know, I didn't have an agent and you know, negotiated the contract myself by just signing it. Um, (laughs) And I went to work by myself every day, you know, for that period. And I just asked my mum recently, I was like, hey, mum, how come you never came on set 
when I was so little. And she said, well, you had a chaperone, you know, and I, and that was your, that was your world. It was kind of this like ongoing trust. And I don't know, it sort of sounds naive to say it back now, but it was fun. It was still, I was very fortunate. I never, I never had any terrible experiences that popped that bubble Mm. as a child. You know, I went in and I found that being on set and navigating a director's requirements from me and the requirements of my other fellow performers who were adults, I found that really fun. But I can see how that might not be the case for, for everybody that goes from playing in a really safe mm. kind of child word world and then moving into into professional work. But, yeah, I just, I also really liked the free bickies. There were so <laughs> many free bickies and I could eat them whenever I wanted so I was in. No one else was watching or counting by the sounds. <laughs> you were on and cast in Orange is a New Black that went for seven seasons, an extraordinary uh, TV series. How did being cast to play Lorna Morello, how did that come about? Well, so from that that 12-year-old gig, I did a few other gigs and then I graduated high school and I went into NIDA. I trained at NIDA, I graduated from NIDA and then I did about seven years of solid theatre work in Sydney and Melbourne and a little in Adelaide and I I was so lucky I got to, you know, be on a lot of the main stages in in those cities and and work with, you know, some of our leading creatives and have an incredible education in stage performance. And it was that work that took me to New York initially. I did, I got to do two theatre shows in New York and... I came home and a friend of mine, Ashley Zuckerman, said, so did you get a, a an agent or a manager? And I was like, nah, I was just trying to do my job really well, hey. <laughs> and he he was like, oh, God, you're an idiot. So I'm going to make you a show reel and we're going to send you back and you're going to do meetings. And, and I did, <laughs> all on the advice of dear Ashley Zuckerman, who's quite a fancy actor these days, and I, I went back and I actually met people who believed in me and I was a very, and I continue to be a very odd little person, you know. I'm not like, I don't make sense on commercial TV really. I'm just five feet. At the time I had a totally shaved head. I looked like a little gremlin and I just found the right people who who thought, yeah, you've actually got something and, you know, America's useful because America tells you exactly what you're not, mm-hmm. you know. You know straight away that you're not the, you know, you're not the hot girl or you're not this or that. For me that worked really well because I'm not that kind of actor. I'm a, I'm a weirdo and I'm a character actor and and so I was grateful to America. It was such a relief. I was like, oh, yes, I'm a weirdo. Good, thank you for clarifying that. I can know that. I can step into it. I can know that now and really Mm. run with that. (laughs) And I guess Lorna fits the bill um, of the weirdo and the character, you know, Mm. it's a kind of high-level character portrayal there. Surprising I got away with it, really. I can't believe (laughs) it. Um, Pretty much every, every director I've ever worked with on screen, always their first response after a take is this. 
That's great, Elle. Maybe we could just turn it down a little bit. Um, it's good. We've got that now, but maybe we'll just do a version that's a little bit less, you know. I'm just always too much, always. Even when I go in with the intention, I'm like, I'm going to play it real cool. This is going to be a real subtle performance. It's going to be very naturalistic every time. Just a Dial little less. A less. <laughs> Are there places where that's served you, though? Well, I guess it served me in Orange is New Black. Mm. Um, so you, uh, I didn't answer your question at all. You asked how I got cast in it. Well, I w- initially went in for Natasha's role and of Nikki and I wasn't quite bolshy enough for that, but they were like, oh, you got something. Let's bring you back in. And so I came back in and and I auditioned as Lorna and I look, I can hardly remember. It was a decade ago. Mm. But we started on the show and I just... I did this thing where I just pretend I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is normal. This is, uh, you know, I, I almost convinced myself, yeah, this is where I should be, of course. But some part of me is like, what the f is going on? I was with these incredible people, these gorgeous, gorgeous human beings, amazing performances. We were having so much fun. The scripts were incredible. It was also completely underground in a sense because Netflix. And the whole idea of streaming mm. was completely new. A lot of my friends were like, oh, yeah, good luck with your little web series. Ugh. And and then it exploded and I got that very unique experience of being on a show that was a worldwide phenomenon at the same time as Netflix becoming a worldwide phenomenon. You know, next to House of Cards, we were one of the first original shows. So it was a wild, wild ride we traveled the world we had suddenly fans everywhere across the globe it was insane and I will I think the further I get away from it the less I'm interested in in playing it down you know I used Hmm. to be pretty cool about it and try not to try not to sound like a like a a a douchebag but it was bananas and my life changed very dramatically and I learned a whole lot about me and what I what I don't need in my life what I what I enjoy what I what matters most like yeah it was such a cool way to learn a lot about life did obviously the the timing as well as the series uh, was extraordinary and a big part of that kind of catalyst as you were kind of filming and going through it, and I know there was a long period of time in that space, but did you have a sense of what you were a part of? Yes. Yes. It was impossible to ignore. Just culturally what a truly revolutionary thing it was. And, and you know, probably young people listening perhaps think, oh, well, it's very old-fashioned now or, you know, make yeah, this cast looks just like every other cast on Mm. television, but it was not the case. And we just were a group of people who were so different to your regular cast. We, We were also people who'd been given jobs that don't normally get jobs. Like, why was I given that job? Good Lord, you know, I was like an Australian theatre nerd. What the heck? And, uh, I think Genji Cohen just had a lot of faith in, in her ability to see talent. Jen Houston is an amazing casting director and 
the show, it reached into pockets of stories of lives that other shows hadn't really gone into. So it was, um, it was amazing. It was amazing on the screen, inside the stories, off screen to share with many of the women in a really close way. Yeah, we really became sisters and it was quite a tender, moving experience with lots of highs and some pretty real lows as well. You touched on, and again, being, you know, a decade or so ago, a ton of learning that you've pulled out of it, key things that you've kind of taken away. Are there any key ones that kind of come to mind? I mean, I love that sense of almost kind of allowing yourself to to be proud of it now when when it's almost the Australian thing to downplay it and, oh, that little thing. <laughs> Is there any yeah. other key takeaways or key learnings that have stuck with you now? I got a tiny taste of what it is to be part of that machine and I didn't feel that it was something that was very good for the human spirit. I think a system that kind of makes some people that's really hierarchical Mm -hmm. and really is about selling things, I mean really Red carpets, mm. selling clothes, turns out that's what it's about. <laughs> turns out you're an ad, you know. Yeah. Those things I found pretty ugly. And when my ego was tempted, it felt very bad. And sometimes I followed that, you know, when you're, mm-hmm. when you're often having a photo taken of you or you're often being made up or dressed and your body's being verbally assessed by the team that you work with, let alone, you know, who's dressed well and who's not. And I I had such a small experience of that. I cannot imagine what it's like for people who have a more intense experience in that world. But I can't help but think it's very, very unhealthy. So I think you've got to really hold tight to the things that, that you believe in and the people that you truly trust and love and you just got to hang on for dear life and kind of ride through the waves of that may want to separate you from who you truly are. And I think there's lots of ways to be tested in our in our lives. And I love I love the experience of challenge. And it comes in different forms. And strangely, that was one of them. I would say childbirth for me was another big one you know, having lost people that I I love, that's another one. You know, Mm. there's a lot of ways that our sense of self is um, challenged and revitalised and strengthened. And, yeah, strangely that was was a big learning period for me about I'm going to try on this persona and then go, actually, I don't think that works for me. And uh, I can imagine a a visceral experience of, you know, being hard to explain except the embodiment of being a part of it. In terms of, I agree with you, challenges are really important. Putting ourselves in the way of things that are hard is really important. And through the experience you've described, it's also important to make sure that we are who we are or that we're maintaining some of our own sense of self in amongst the challenge. What helps you to navigate that now like what what helps you to then go well this is the challenge I'll say yes to versus this is the challenge that I'm not prepared to give up what I know about me (laughs) for what might Mm. be at stake here 
such a good question. I mean, a big part of me just wants to ask you that. Like, what? You don't know, do you? You look back and you think, oh, that all makes sense or, yes, that joins to that. But you don't know when you're saying yes mm. and no. You don't know what's going to be a mistake and and what's in the genuine too hard basket and what's in the I will grow from this basket. You know, I, I it's, um, you know, right, I can only speak from where I am right now, which is like deep in the kind of mothering of young children and trying to work and trying to do things to hopefully make the world a better place, you know, and with my not-for-profit work and the threading the needle of those things, trying to be a good friend, trying to be a good daughter, it's a beautiful challenge, isn't it? Mm. But, yeah, look, I don't even know if I can answer it. I don't know. There's some metric inside of me that helps me make my decisions and usually it's around what moves me because I think... What moves you gives you longevity. You can stay with. You know, I'm, I've just launched this organisation called High Neighbour, but I've been working on it for two years and it's demanded so much learning and so much growth. And at so many turns, it would have been quite easy to give up because what the hell do I think I'm doing, mm. you know, stepping outside my lane? But I am compelled to do it because I am moved to want to see to say to my kids, I am working so hard on these climate change challenges and I want them to know when they look at their mum that I've done everything that I can. So I am moved to make that happen. And in some ways it's an interesting one because that will challenge my ability to, to have extra patience with them or it means that I put them to bed and I go straight to work in the nighttime, which probably isn't great for my mental health or my relationship mm. with my partner. So, you know, there's only 100 points that you get and you can't spend yes. 120. Okay. So, And look, it's nearly an impossible question I know I've thrown at you. In some ways I'm kind of going, like, what helps you keep grounded in amongst those challenges? Because there is big meaning and big purpose in, um, I'll ask you in a minute, just mm. a little bit more about the work that you are doing and recognising there's sacrifices too. I, I do. I think it's that being passionately moved by things helps me feel this is worthwhile. Mm. And I can be passionately moved by my, my parenting or my relationship with my family and my friends and my partner. I can be passionately moved by, my, by a script, by a, a day on set, by this launch that we just had for High Neighbour. If I'm moved, then it makes sense. And, I've, and so I've got a reason to move forward. Mm -hmm. I think that might be the litmus test. It's a good one. It's a good one because then you go, am I passionately moved to wear a dress on the red carpet to sell it? <laughs> Look, so. I'm not saying that's not fun. There's definitely some fun there, but is it, no. is it passionately moving me? I'm not sure. And with that in mind, because, again, there are ebbs and flows, there are kind of pushbacks, we have doubts and fears in ourselves in amongst challenges, and sometimes we have external criticism, people sort of saying, not going to work, not good enough, who do you think you are? How do you navigate that, whether it's been in your acting career or in, in the work that you're doing now with High Neighbour? So I guess that's in that kind of external unknown of others versus that kind of doubt within yourself. How have you handled or faced kind of criticism or advice from it's others? It's not pretty. 
but I think I I think I put it in the blast furnace for fuel, and I'm. Mm. And I think it's wonderful. How great! I don't know. It just it, it drives me forward. Um, that it, that's ugly to admit, but I think when you when you're talking this way and you're taking people's ear space, you should be honest. Yeah, I, I think sometimes there's some criticism of some awful things I've read on social media that that do burn you up and and kind of hurt you. But for the most part, I'm dogged, and I just use. I use criticism as fuel. In terms of your fuel and focus around the climate fight, um, in January 2020, when Australia was in the height of the bushfires here, you made a public statement uh, declaring that you would stay here in Australia, abandon your US green card in order to recognise just the sheer volume of travel that you were doing and the impact that that was kind of having on on the climate. Was there a catalyst for the that fires. decision? Yeah, the, 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 the hmm. insane amount of biodiversity loss, the human cost, the fear, the overwhelming sense that, no, no, this isn't around the corner. This is here. This is right now. What did you do when it was right now at your doorstep? What did you decide to do? Oh, you flew back to, to Austin, Texas to do a few um, auditions. And look, I love my job as an actor. I love it so much. I sometimes feel guilty when I go and do it because it seems so frivolous and silly and fun. And I don't want to, I don't want to shit on it. Um, and I don't want to stop doing it. But I do want to know that I have participated in a solutions-based, positive approach to this challenge rather than fret and do nothing. I want my kids to be proud of how I've worked and I want to inspire them. When you say 2020, I think, oh, it's 20, it's, we're halfway through 2023. Like it's not two years, it's just longer than that, but I've been bashing away trying to find my space and I'm only just finding it. And we don't actually have time for me to even fluff around for that long. You know, we, a little while back we were given a window of seven years and that window is rapidly closing. I don't want to stress people out, but mm-hmm. that's just a reality. We're facing the biggest existential crisis that, that humanity has stared down and I think we are going to win. I think we're going to do this, but it won't just be because it'll be because of hard work and genius and reconnection with land and country and each other and it will be by stepping outside your comfort zone and calling up that number and saying, hey, do you need any help with your excellent organisation that's doing fantastic work or I have some money I'd like to invest in, in some social impact, you know, or I have somebody who I know I think is the right person to work with you. Can I connect you with them? I have no money, but I've got skills as an accountant. Maybe I can volunteer a couple of hours a week. It is no longer about um, attending to your recycling. That moment has passed. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to work. We need to work it. So I do believe we can do it, but it needs to be a global full-scale operation and you know I think some people would criticize a civilian approach where it's on the civilians to do all the work 
and sure, it should not be. It should not be. It, certainly government and big business has the most to answer for. But we are here and we are now mm. and we can move those those chains above us as best as we can. Um, we can do things within our communities that increase their resilience and interconnectedness. And, and I truly believe with all of us lifting, we can do this. Because there can be a sense of hard to measure progress, hard to know that efforts are making any change. What can I do and what kind of impact can I have? You were saying you've launched this entity, Hi Neighbour, just Saturday, but have been working on it for a couple of years. Talk to me a little bit about the endeavour that also sits behind that real passion of we got to do, we yeah. can do well, it, but we've got to do more. I live in an incredible place that is called the Coal Coast. So there's lots of coal mining and lots of steel making. And I started learning about what it means for workers, this, this energy transformation where we move from high carbon to low carbon technologies and what it means for generations of workers who've worked in high carbon industries. Do they lose their job? Do they, what do they get? A card? Thanks very much. See ya. We're all going to have our coffee cups and um, you guys can lose your jobs. And I started to think about mm. what what a greater sense of justice and inclusion might look like, um, especially in a place like ours where there is certainly a group pushing for action on climate change and then a, a group who's worked in these industries for a long time and is passionate about having good jobs and looking after their families. And I started to see a bit of a social divide happening that I thought could be really disastrous environmentally and socially. Mm. And the work on High Neighbour has been about bringing those things together. So how can, how can we bring those groups together and see that this transformation serves us all if it includes us all? So in very practical, basic terms, High Neighbour gives out scholarships to workers in the local area so they can upskill and be part of this energy transformation. So maybe there's an electrician who wants to move into solar. Well, we'll provide them a scholarship to do the appropriate training. We'll send them to the right training course. We'll be part of all of those specifics and we'll give them the, the money to do it as well. Um, so we've just launched a round, our first debut round to do just that. We've got 20 grand for local workers to upskill in domestic electrification to support Saul Griffith's project of Electrify 2515, which is like a world-leading project where they're basically going to take a postcode and completely decarbonise it and it will become a case study for the world. And so we're just making sure that we've got enough workers locally who can serve that plan so that it means we're protecting our local economy as well. Those jobs don't immediately, you know, go out of town, that the money stays within the economy and local families are supported and appreciated. In terms of bringing those groups together, because I think often we feel like they are really divided in terms of let's talk about the environment versus actually people really wanting jobs. It requires a sense of empathy, understanding, and just a safe space to have those conversations. Are you finding people are willing to step into those or is it is there a greater divide? I am finding just an overwhelming sense of willingness when you provide that safe place. When you say, hey, blame is not on the table here. This is not about blame. This is not about blaming workers for the industry that they happen to feed their kids with. 
if I may, I'm going to ask for your indulgence because I've got the perfect, I've got a little email mm-hmm. from my dear friend Daryl and co-volunteer. Okay, so Daryl has been in coal mining his entire life. He's never worked outside of a coal mine. He started when he was 17 and he only recently just retired and he now works with us as a very passionate, engaged volunteer. This is, this is his email after the launch. I love today. It was one of those days we will look back on and think, yeah, that was a pivotal moment. All those people with joy, love and hope in their hearts. I truly felt today for one of the first times in my life that I was where I belong to be speaking about a project that is actually doing something amazing while my daughter and my grandson were there pointing at me was pretty damn special. And it is for them and generations to come that we are doing this. Climate change will not destroy my life, but it may well do that to theirs. I can't express enough admiration I have for you all for all the work you have done. I know I have helped, but I'm really just someone who did a bit of investigation into things. So it was a day of firsts. Anyway, Daryl goes on, but I just, oh, I mean, yeah. That's like goosebumps. Yeah. And, it's and, amazing. You know, I think once we give people a, a space to, um, I don't know, I guess talk about what's, what's in their hearts and how, how we won't be punished for, who, for, for the work that we've done, then we can start to like move into transformation and and change and and what's next you know of course we're all excited about what's next as long as we know we're safe and we're okay what's next let's let's do this if we're Mm. supported properly let's do this so yeah Daryl is one example Um, another person we work with a gentleman named Greg Knight another inspirational person who worked in steelmaking for 39 years at Blue Scope who is now dedicating his retirement to reducing carbon emissions in the local area it's a truly it's a truly diverse bunch and I just think we're gonna we're gonna do some really interesting things. Yesterday I spoke with a, a young female electrical apprentice in her fourth year of her apprenticeship and she's so excited about these scholarships and I think, oh, my gosh, this is real. This is amazing. You open the door and it's there. you just got to open the door. People get to express their own creativity, their own um, nuance in that, yeah. in those environments. I know you've just launched on Saturday but what's – What's the vision? Like where do you see kind of high neighbour or at least some of these case studies going? Well, look, there's all these kind of practical milestones, more scholarships. We also have solar partnerships. So we've just helped to put on a 99.9 kilowatt solar system on a local manufacturing warehouse. The dividends from that loan repayment will go into our scholarship fund. So so more of those practical projects where we see CO2 emissions go down, mm. where we see scholarship funds reimbursed and, and then we go out to the community again and just more and more people supported in their transformation. But as a larger vision, I would love to prove a case study of what's possible when we all come together. And then I'd love to help other communities do it on the ground, you know, share what we've learnt, not go in there and, and do it for them because every community has its own unique way and its own needs and its own challenges and its own, you know, glorious, wonderful people. So that's the vision. I would love to prove and prove quickly what we can do here 
and quickly share this model of what's possible. And there's there's amazing groups doing leaps and bounds and incredible stuff that I follow with great admiration, people like the Hunter Jobs Alliance in this space. But if we all do our little thing and, and focus on our world like we focus on training, we can change the story. And once once people see that the story can change, they let go gripping so hard to what was, maybe move to, to what could be. I think there's that chance to be able to go, where am I at? What can I do in my community? But also what can I bring to this? How does some of um, the huge amount of work that you've been working on the last couple of years around kind of high neighbour, how does any of that kind of inform your your acting or your creative outlets as well is there a crossover of the two well interestingly I just completed a a television project that was set right here where I live it was kind of impossible to say no to it was this woman who's kind of overworked with three children and you know overwhelmed by life and lives pretty much where I live so I thought okay no acting required (laughs) (laughs) written for um, me (laughs) yeah and there were certainly some reverberations, like mm. having a better sense of this community, reaching out and being connected. There were moments I had a scene where I just sat in my character's car and looked out to the ocean and reflected, basically. And the moment, you know, on the page, it's like one line. And it was so deep, the moment it felt so reverberatory. I'm going to make up that word because I know and love the place I'm, and I'm looking out to those ships that I know are full of coal and this place that looking down, you know, to Port Kembla, to the industrial skyline, knowing a bit more about what that means and the, the, the industrial working history of this place and where this character has likely come from and the people she has known and the challenges she has known. And so, yeah, that was a very direct, that's a very direct thing. But I do see there's a cycle back and forth because it's about being interested in people and bringing empathy to people and mm. hopefully having people bring empathy to you and understanding, forgiveness, an ability to say, I'm sorry I was wrong, I'm going to learn from that. I feel like strangely a lot of those skills of increasing your humanity have served me really well in trying to lead this organisation. Makes sense. That makes sense of being able to stop and pause and put yourself in someone else's shoes, that that ability to maybe understand what's going on for them, whether it's been a character that you've played or that, that ability to think about that in pull, pulling this together. I can see those yeah. threads really coming together. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not Meryl Streep, you know, and and so I can't Look, I'm sure Meryl Streep could run this organisation better than me is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but I, my attempt to fully empathise will always meet its barriers and, of course, mm. I don't. But, but a moment to stop and really think and imagine yourself into somebody else's life is always helpful, I, I have found. I understand you. Tell me if I'm wrong, but that you're also studying a um, Bachelor of Sustainable Communities You've launched this on the weekend. You've got other kind of creative and acting kind of projects and two young girls, so navigating parenting, motherhood. What do you do in order to 
restore your own energy or tap back into that when you feel it starting to kind of slip away. <laughs> so you're kind of going, oh, maybe I don't. And there are plenty of times, but yeah, what are the ways that you tap back into that? What fuels you from uh, kind of looking after your own energy? I'm very happy for anyone to call in and um, please provide me with some <laughs> solutions. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm begging for that. Yeah, a pillow um, in the corner sometimes yeah. just works as well. I should say that I'm, I'm doing this Bachelor of Sustainable Communities. My God, am, I am the slowest mature age student that has ever signed on to anything. I, I mean, I may not complete that within the time frame. Let's just, let's just be straight about that. But um, I don't know yet and I think I have some unhealthy working habits and I actually think I've weirdly strayed into a strange place where I can't stop at the moment. So I'm coming to you as an imperfect person with um, my, and my honest answer is I don't think I'm doing very well with that. Mm-hmm. I think I want to give everything to my kids. I want to give everything to, to my creative work. I want to give everything to this organisation and that you can't square that circle or whatever the expression is. Uh, yeah, so I'm struggling with that and I have been thinking recently that I do need some help to work out how to how to take care of myself and find the space because right now I don't see it. I don't know where it is and I, I know that having young kids is like classically a difficult time but I, there, sh- there should be tools that I'm employing, you know. I think, again, you know, from what you're describing that, um, even if we come back to your response of going, what's the stuff that you get passionate about and lit up and kind of sense of that energy? It sounds like that's more what you're following and flowing at the moment, as well as mm. little kids are. It is just a pillow in the corner sometimes if <laughs> that the can be enough in that moment. Yeah. The love is pretty great. We'll say that, you know, Love is pretty, it's incredibly healing and I feel so, so grateful to be in a family that, I mean, we're pretty hectic but it's such good juice, isn't it, to to love and be loved in return. It's, it's extraordinary. That can be the energetic uh, space, that restoration that can then give you the platform to to kind of keep going. What are you excited about in terms of what's next for you? Hmm. I would love to see the organisation grow. I would love to really meet more people that we can help and get to know and like, you know, selfishly more people on the street that I can be like, hey, Bob. Um, Hello, Trisha. Uh, Because I'm a big neighbourhood nerd. Love it. Um, So there's that. And, you know, the the creative work is so fun, so frivolous in some ways, but it does support, I mean, even, even just financially, it supports High Neighbour. But my sense is that one is not possible without the other, humanity-wise. Like, I need the frivolity and joy of pretending so I can go back and, you know, fill out my DGR paperwork, um, you know. Uh, and so I'm quite... I feel quite passionate about my life and excited by it. And I never know where it will lead. I haven't worked outside of Australia since I made that declaration, but I that was never a kind of forever promise. The promise was I'm going to give up my green card, and I did. 
you know, maybe maybe one day when when High Neighbour is really strong and really pumping, maybe I'll try and go on an, an adventure overseas. Maybe I'll try and work somewhere I've never worked. Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll do a ridiculous caravan journey to Western Australia. I'm excited by watching the kids grow. Marley's six months and and 10 kilos um, and I, I can't wait to hear her speak. Yeah. I love watching them cuddle in the morning and watching their sisterhood grow. So th- that just seeing that grow is um, is amazing. Oh, no, someone's crying upstairs. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so I'm quite excited by our life and, and Jack, my partner, is a massive source of inspiration and to watch what's happening with him and his work is incredible. He's got a book coming out in September. It's it's quite revolutionary in its thinking and I can't wait to see how people respond to him intellectually around that. Um, yeah, it's an exciting dynamic life and there is a there's a lot of love, you know. You can probably see behind me that's my dad's scooter. Yeah, my dad's here, you know, my mum's my around, Jack's mum and Jack's family are around. We're so lucky. So I think that's that tapestry of, of love seems to be what I keep coming back to. It's a nice grounding thing and a conscious thing to kind of come back to and exciting things ahead. I've really got a lot out of this conversation, even for myself, just around what are those things that you feel passionate about and then what are those actions that we can make a difference as well as the conversations we can step into. So thank you for your time. The final question I've got for you, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Might tie into what we've talked about, but when you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? It's complex, isn't it? Because I don't want what I've said today to kind of feed into some capitalist notion that we have to achieve, achieve and do a thousand bazillion things. Like I know that's not necessarily healthy. Um, I think it has to be the life that you feel called to, to live and there's all kinds of people have all kinds of given circumstances around their life, be that geographical, political, financial, social, the body that they're born into. And within the context of that, what is the life that you're called to live inside the, the, the context of what you've been given? I feel so lucky to know people across the world, mainly through my partner's work, who are living passionate, engaged, inspiring lives out of all kinds of different given circumstances. And I find that so cool and inspiring. And I think when you heed that call as best you can, that's a standout life. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Ali Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get huge amount of value out of, then please share it with them or maybe share it on your socials. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring 
what does it really take? As always, this is Standout Life Podcast and I'm Ali Hill.